everybody, it's David Andrew here. Welcome to the Inverse Podcast. We hope you're doing well. Today's guest is Brooke Prentice, and Jared's going to introduce her during the uh, interview, during the episode. You're going to hear that, and you're going to hear why we think that she is one of the most important and profound voices in the Australian church at the moment. Uh, but I just wanted to bring some uh, awareness to the fact you might have seen the cover for the uh, podcast uh, is different this week, and that's because it's some art from our dear friend, uh, the legendary indigenous Christian leader and artist, Safina Stewart, uh, whose artwork can be found at artbysafina.com.au, which we're going to have a link to the show notes, and we're actually going to have a lot of links for you to check out this time, because there's a lot of content that you need to check out. But um, her artwork gets talked about in this interview, and so we wanted to highlight that and share that uh, as the cover art for this episode. So check that out. Uh, There'll be links in the show notes, as well as if you want to join and help support the work of the podcast, you can find the link there to jump onto Patreon, and uh, we'll be pumped to hang out with you. All right. Enjoy the episode. Brooke, I think you are the most important voice in Australia in the church at the moment. I I mean, even going back to uh, when starting Common Grace, (laughs) one of my conditions was that um, you would be in the mix if um, uh, you're you willing to be. And uh, I'm so excited that so many other people are starting to to realise that, seeing you on, on the drum, seeing you on the ABC, seeing you uh, um, in, in the media and uh, your your prophetic and, and generous voice um, is so important and so wonderful and so needed at a time like this. So thank you for your time. And I'm really excited about um, other people who and maybe elsewhere getting a chance to to hear your voice. How do you describe, uh, what's your 30-second bio for people when you're doing so many things at the moment? Yeah, well, thank you so much for um, having me on, I guess, um, and for a very generous and beautiful uh, introduction. Uh, But I guess the 30-second bio is that I'm an Aboriginal Christian leader and uh, I'm a descendant of the Waka Waka people, Uh, the Aboriginal spokesperson for Common Grace and uh, coordinator of the Grass Tree Gathering. And I guess we'll probably talk about some of those things as we go on. Um, And I'm currently writing a book uh, for release next year. um, That'll be a resource for the Australian church in how to engage, build and deepen relationship with Aboriginal peoples, uh, which is, you know, Indigenous peoples here in these lands now called Australia. But... um, I guess in terms of the, the voice that I play in Australia, uh, it's from learning from those Aboriginal Christian leaders that have mm. gone before me and uh, who I've been privileged enough um, to be able to sit at the feet of so many Christian elders as well as traditional owners on many different Aboriginal nations in these lands now called Australia, and I wouldn't be here without them. And so um, I particularly just want to acknowledge Auntie Jean Phillips, uh, one of our senior Aboriginal Christian leaders of all denominations in Australia, who's done 60 years of her life in ministry. So she's in her 80s. Um, Uncle Ray Minicon, uh, amazing theologian. Uh, uh, Uncle Reverend Graham Paulson, another Mm. incredible theologian. And um, Uncle uh, Japananka Granitz, who has Mm. passed away now, but uh, while pre-being a lawman as well as Aboriginal Christian leader, and then also Auntie Reverend Denise Champion. So yeah. there's some, but there's so many more. Um, and uh, 
but yeah, I wouldn't be where I am today without uh, those leaders that are still in my life, but the ones that have gone before us as well. Yeah, and such important prophetic voices in the church, and uh, it, it's beautiful you uh, calling on their witness as a way to kind of ground this conversation. Now, um, uh, I'm out here on uh, Noongar land on uh, Wadruk country. Um, where do you find yourself at the moment for this interview? Yeah, so I'm on the land of the Gadigal peoples in the place now called Sydney. Uh, I've just moved to Sydney this year uh, and so uh, my grandmother's country is Wooka Wooka country nation up in the lands now called Queensland. Mm. I was born on the land of the Yindinji peoples in the place now called Cairns and have grown up and until just this year lived on Gubby Gubby country. So that's very much uh, home for me as well, which is also in the lands now called Queensland. And that's, uh, as you would know, Jared, when you ask an Aboriginal person uh, where they're from or where they find themselves, uh, <laughs> our relationship to, to land and place and story um, is so important. Yeah, as uh, hopefully, um, particularly with the passage you've chosen, uh, mm. this is the kind of learning that it needs to be for all of us if we can actually step into um, our context and, and the importance of the places that we are and do the work um, for those of us who can pass the, as white, uh, particularly on this continent, for why those stories are covered up, um, both uh, our own in terms of a, a recent history that doesn't stretch much more back than 200 years um, for those who haven't been here for 80,000 years, uh, but also why the story of those who have walked this land, cared for this land for 60, 70, 80,000 years are covered up. Um, Brooke, you've chosen a particular passage. Would you read that for us uh, before we jump yes, in? I will. Um, so I've uh, selected Job 12, 7 to 10. Hmm. And as we uh, Listen to the birds in, in your background as well. Um, I wonder what they're saying to us. But Job 12, 7 to 10. Mm. But ask the animals and they will teach you. Or the birds in the sky and they will tell you. Or speak to the earth and it will teach you. Or let the fish in the sea inform you. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all mankind. Mm. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. Um, Brooke, when do you remember the scriptures first becoming important to you? Yeah, well, that's an a interesting um, journey. So I actually didn't become a, a follower of Jesus, a Christian, until uh, I was 21, um, which was back in 2001. And um, part of my story is I think as an Aboriginal uh, person, as an Aboriginal child, you're aware of injustice at such a young age and usually that first experience of racism uh, and so I guess that spurred my quest for justice um, since I think the age of six to 11, somewhere in there, um, very much knowing the injustice in the world, particularly for Aboriginal peoples and wanting to fight against injustice. Uh, but what uh, I saw with Christians is I didn't think that they were involved 
injustice. And so I was quite mm. confused about what it meant to be a Christian and why weren't they fighting for justice and um, if love was the foundation, which yeah. is I, what I thought about Christians, but yet this justice piece was missing. Um, and so anyway, I met a girl on the very first day of university, uh, Natalie Halliday Frame, and she was a fourth generation Salvationist, so a member of the Salvation Army. And so it was the first time I really had a friend uh, who was very involved in church and identified as Christian and came from a generation of, of Christians. Um, and so anyway, to cut a long story short, she took me to church and after a four-year process, uh, I became a Christian, um, but basically overnight in November 2001. Uh, but what I found in the Salvation Army is the story of Catherine and William Booth, the founder mm. of the Salvation Army, and I then my eyes were open and went, oh, actually, Christians do believe in justice. Uh, here's this incredible example. Uh, and so anyway, after that night in 2001, Natalie was driving me home from church and I used to just go to support her and um, be part of this uh, community of uh, incredible young people who are still my very dear friends to this day. Yeah, wow. Uh, and I was trying to talk to her about what had happened because I wasn't quite sure what had happened. And I said, oh, um, her dad had actually done the sermon that night and um, I said, oh, I really loved what your dad um, had to say tonight. And she didn't pick up on what I was trying to say and she's like, oh, yeah, he's a great speaker and rah, 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 rah. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, like I really enjoyed what he had to say. And she's like, oh, wait, what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> and, um, She's uh, like, oh, well, I said, like, where do I start? And, you know, we'd been friends for four years. I'd been going to church, um, you know, not regularly, but we'd do assignments on Saturday, then go to church on Sunday um, every few months, I guess. Uh, and so, anyway, my favourite colour was and still is purple. The very next day she found me a Bible that had a purple cover, uh, which was <laughs> incredible. Uh, and, but she actually forgot to teach me how to read it. Uh, mm. and so I just randomly opened the Bible, um, after she gave it to me when I was on my own and I opened it. And, uh, apart from being critical about, uh, Christians about not being active in justice, I guess I hadn't understood when you couldn't, when it felt like you couldn't physically see Jesus and what was this Bible all about, you know, mm. um, uh, and so the very first passage of scripture that I read when I randomly opened up my Bible uh, was First Peter uh, 1, um, verse 8 and 9, which is, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, salvation of your souls. And I... I still get chills reading. Wow, um, that's incredible, bro. All these years later that that was the very first, like, you know, I didn't even start at the first Peter 1. It was straight to that verse, though you have not seen him. It was like it just jumped out off the, the pages. Um, <laughs> that's such a better place than Chad Myers was just sharing about <laughs> starting at the start of Matthew and going through, like, the family oh, tree. Right. That, that's certainly a lot more moving and po poetic. Yes. Uh, and, you know, that inexpressible, inexpressible and glorious joy, it was exactly how I was feeling. I couldn't wow. articulate what had happened in that, you know, what felt like a split second. Um, huh. 
And then I guess, you know, my journey with the Salvation Army continued and um, uh, then you can get a bit, um, like I still dearly love the Salvation Army and so many of my friends, but Mm. um, living out justice I found wasn't in every follower of Jesus that was in the Salvation Army. And so I was then confused again. (laughs) If only that was a problem just for the Salvation Army, right? That's right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm now also a member of the Uniting Church, um, the UAICC, which is the Uniting Aboriginal and Islander Christian Congress, and the Anglican Church. So three denominations before the age of 40 uh, and work very ecumenically with all the churches. So uh, it's just about whoever wants to come on the journey with us. And, um, uh, you know, it's, and that's the body of Christ. It's all of us and the denominations and the institutions, each with their own gifts and skills and challenges and being able to see that. Um, And I guess that's where scripture plays a huge uh, part in my life to, to navigate these institutions um, and the humanness uh, that is the church uh, and mm. as well. Uh, but so yeah, then wow. it was um, 2010, I went uh, to a Salvation Army conference called I'll Fight. So that's <laughs> um, William Booth's words. And uh, when you become a member of the Salvation Army, you become a soldier. And so I was a senior soldier and, you know, this old fight, I was ready to fight for justice and um, it comes from William Booth's uh, words, his famous old fight speech. Mm. Uh, And so I saw these incredible speakers. It was actually the last old fight conference the Salvation Army ever had, which I was so very disappointed um, (laughs) about. And uh, that is where I met uh, a man named Jared McKenna as well who helped me to open my eyes and... um, uh, see, uh, and it, it's not another Jared McKenna, it is you if you didn't pick up on that. <laughs> Although there could be more Jared McKenna's out in the world. Um, uh, and, yeah, the pictures that you showed to help to bring the scripture alive, uh, I had never encountered someone be able to uh, speak like that. And so I guess that then um, drove my thirst to, to know more, to continue to fight for justice uh, as a Christian. And then uh, we cut forward to 2012. Uh, and, 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 Brooke, before you move on, yeah, um, thank you. I mean, uh, yeah, the, that's that's incredibly beautiful and generous. Um, so thanks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's all right. <laughs> um it was, uh, yeah, because I didn't know who you were and there were two uh, uh, um, of my friends, uh, both male friends who were with me and they were there purely for you at the conference. <laughs> um, and so, I, uh, yeah, it was quite a, a fascinating um, thing. So, yes, thank you for um, speaking into my life all those years ago. Um, and I guess that's the beautiful thing about our voices is that we often don't know, um, you know, when we're in tune um, with Jesus uh, and the land and the peoples, um, we don't know what impact that Jesus is making through us. Mm. And, um, you know, it's incredible to reflect on those stories and 
Uh, I mean, scripture tells us that to to tell our story and yeah. uh, we need more of that. And so, you know, I thank you for this opportunity to tell my story a, a bit more as well. Yeah, I, I was thinking as you were saying it that um, it, it's amazing how you've ministered to me over the years and that's part of it, right? Like together, um, the, mm. the redeemed uh, singing of the, their stories, tell, telling that deliverance and um, how those things are weave together so that, that's yeah that's beautiful to be a part of your story yes yes and you as part of mine mm. uh so then we go to 2012 and i went to run the only aboriginal church for the salvation army in australia uh, uh. and Unfortunately, they decided that funding that church was no longer a priority and so it closed after 12 months. Um, Wow. uh, But what God taught me through that is that he is bigger than any denomination and that's when my ecumenical world opened up, so all the different churches together. Um, And uh, it's also when uh, I came into contact uh, with the movement that is the Grass Tree Gathering, uh, which is of Auntie Jean Phillips. So this is the same year, 2012, um, uh, and I, I actually think it's quite a spiritual, uh, spiritually significant year. There's a number of things that happened in 2012, not just that impacted me, that hmm. um, are broader. So I don't know whether there's any listeners who are tuned into 2012 and have their own stories, uh, but <laughs> Auntie Jean Phillips um, and some other Aboriginal Christian leaders brought together 60 Aboriginal uh, Christian leaders in what is called the Grass Tree Gathering from across Australia and across the church. And I guess that's when my eyes were opened up again because I had only met one other Aboriginal person in the Salvation Army. Mm. And so I'm like, oh, hang on, there's all these Aboriginal Christian leaders. Why in my 10 years um, journeying as a follower of Jesus had I never met them? Uh, And... Uh, met my fellow Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leaders. And so, and to meet the elders like Auntie Jean, Uncle Ray Minicon, Uncle that's right. and Yeah, uh, living legends. That's right. And yeah. why did the church not know about these people? And yeah. uh, who, you know, incredible followers of Jesus who've done so much ministry and yeah. theology and... Uh, and and activism over the years and their, their impact right. and respect in the general community and yet in, in churches they're um, often not, you know, even remunerated for their ministry. Um, like That's it, right. It's, yeah, it's shocking. Yes. yes. And so, uh, you know, an Aboriginal... Christians in Australia, Aboriginal Christian leaders in Australia had not gathered on that scale in some 30 years. So Mm. it was quite significant. Wow. And then, uh, you know, that quest then for uh, fully bringing together uh, my Aboriginality and my Christianity um, and Uncle Reverend Grant Paulson, uh, he has an incredible paper that he co-wrote with Mark Brett. Mark Brett, yeah. Yeah, it's called Five Smooth Stones. And we might uh, see if we can put a link to that because it, it's so significant. Yeah, and that's our, right. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's. It, uh, I think if you're on this continent and a Christian, it should be required reading. <laughs> yes, that's right, exactly. And, you know, one of their lines in that paper is that we need to read the Bible with Aboriginal eyes and mm. so... 
I then started to see that I had been taught the Bible through a Western lens. Um, And so, uh, you know, and that, um, you know, that, uh, yeah, so how to remove that lens and it's not the only lens, it's very much the dominant lens. Um, And I guess that's where I bring myself today in, in looking at the scriptures and theology uh, and pretty much trying to decolonize theology, yep. uh, not on my own, but in the community that is Nates N A I I T S, um, and of I which I'm a part. Yes, that's right. And you had yeah. uh, some of our Nates legends on a previous podcast as well. That's right, and we've got more coming up. So yeah. I'm tr- seeking to share the wisdom of the elders with a, a, a larger audience. Yes. Yep. So. Uh, so I've now gone on to complete my graduate certificate in theology through Nate's. Uh, and and that might actually be important saying, Brooke, because I'm sure if people have seen you on TV or they've heard you interviewed on the radio or um, seen you at, at a rally or heard you in church, that they might think, oh, when Brooke was in university, she did a history degree or she did Aboriginal studies or uh, she did a general arts degree or, or maybe some philosophy. But actually, your initial studies at university were... <laughs> were commerce. <laughs> and, uh, I have an arts degree and my arts is a major in Japanese language and a major yeah. in political science. So I am actually a chartered accountant by profession, uh, but one of only 22 Indigenous chartered accountants in all of Australia. Yeah. Uh, and that's important, uh, particularly when I look at theology as well, and that's why Nate's is so important here in Australia, we only have about five Aboriginal Christian leaders in the history um, across all the denominations that have a master's or PhD in theology. Yep. And so when I look at how few chartered accountants, Indigenous chartered accountants we have and how few Indigenous uh, masters and PhD qualified Indigenous Christians we have, you know, it's very easy to see we've been kept out as Indigenous peoples kept out of the capitalist regime and kept yep. out of the theological regime. Yep. Uh, but it's incredible to see God um, working through uh, those things and uh, bringing us into conversation. And, uh, you know, when you reflect on those, we don't have true equality in Australia um, yeah. or in the world with Indigenous people. So there's still a long way to go to bring down this global colonial project. Totally. And um, even some of the sadness of seeing um, uh as the kookaburra worships Mm -hmm. in the background. Yes. Um, uh, Seeing the incredible response to um, uh, a 16-year-old from Northern Europe and uh, the the world's heart breaking or attacking her Mm. um, over her call around our ecological crisis, there there is still a, a heartache that this is what Indigenous elders worldwide have been speaking of um, during our, like I remember um, Auntie Jean Phillips talking to me in like early 2000s uh, about this stuff and uh, about yes. care of the land. Um, yes. uh, Gar- that uh, it, while it's incredible that um, this one young woman has been uh, raised up for people to see what's going on, this is something that Indigenous people um, worldwide have been drawing our attention to for so long and we're not even listening. That's right. And it, thank you so much for saying that because it's it's been hard, uh, you know, and as I started out by recognising those elders who fought the way 
um, their fight for the care of creation as custodians. Yeah. I mean, that is our role. The creator gave us that role as custodians and stewards of his creation. Um, and, uh, you know, we've been fighting for the environment uh, in Australia. So as I arrived at the Sydney rally with 100,000 people at um, the climate strike. Yeah, yeah. 20th of September, 100,000 people in Sydney I'd never seen. I've been to a lot of protests in Australia, but that was the largest I'd ever seen and been part of. But as I uh, was uh, seeing the crowds, I'm like, yeah, Aboriginal people been fighting for uh, the environment and um, for our world since 1788, uh, which, uh, you know, marks a particular moment in colonisation. And so... And, and, you know, we've got current fights here in Australia. You know, I am very distressed about the Japarong trees in uh, the state of Victoria. Victoria, yeah. Yeah, 800-year-old trees um, that we call a sacred birthing trees for the Japarong Mm. peoples, and they're in danger of being bulldozed. The federal government hasn't protected them. The state government hasn't protected them. Um, And so, you know, it's, it's just so distressing, and it's not just their historical value, there's actually 3,000 trees that can potentially be destroyed. And so it still comes back to that, how do we listen to the Indigenous voice? How do we listen to the land? How do we protect um, creation and and fight for um, the lands all over the world? And it it very much means listening to Indigenous peoples. Yeah, and and part of the importance of uh, allowing the Spirit of God to save us from white supremacy is actually to to see that um, uh, theological projects that play chaplain to the destruction of peoples um, also leads to the destruction of the land a- and vice versa. That's that right. um, uh, if we can actually listen to the elders, um, it, it's a whole worldview shift that needs to go on. And maybe it's worth mentioning um, before I allow you to open up uh, the text for us, Brooke, that... Um, the, the reason why there's so few uh, Aboriginal leaders with qualifications uh, formally um, in, in terms of theological institutions um, isn't because that um, Christianity is like a, mm-hmm. a a side thing in Aboriginal communities, but, in fact, anybody listens to Noongar Radio here um, in Western Australia, you know that Sunday morning um, you're going to get gospel songs um, because of how important it is to so many Aboriginal people. And, in fact, out of any demographic uh, in Australia, it's it's the largest group that identifies as being Christian. And yet people say, well, we we don't see him on a Sunday. And it's like, what church is you in and why? And And those things are are pretty important um, to name at the outset because I think they start to reveal that um, before we... I talk about reconciliation. <laughs> we need yes. to talk about was there a time when things were ever right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. And that's where we very much talk about conciliation because yeah. reconciliation suggests, you know, the repair of a broken relationship or a coming together, uh, whereas conciliation, we have to ask ourselves the question, have we ever had a relationship in the beginning? Yeah. And they look at uh, how many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people identify as Christian and aren't sitting in the churches. And I think back to the Japarong trees, Yeah, you know, so, so many of the church buildings, they're, they're on stolen land that That's hasn't right. been acknowledged. 
uh, and they um, are on heritage registers uh, and mm. are protected. Mm-hmm. Um, yet they're far younger than 800-year-old trees. So, yeah. uh, you know, I think there's a lot that theology can can speak in um, to this situation. And uh, you were talking before, uh, and what came to my mind is the elders that teach us that um, when the land is sick, the people are sick. Yeah. And so we have to really um, focus on that. And, you know, I was very pleasantly surprised at the climate strike uh, that Indigenous voices um, did lead the rallies and we did hear from Aboriginal peoples. And I think that's um, uh, amazing that that has happened in this time and mm. that will do um, for the future. Yeah, it's hugely significant. Actually, our brother um, Adam Gowan, uh, contacted during the week and uh, he said um, thank you for not editing out uh, the bird sounds in the background he said not only yes. the conversation generally ministered to me but um, even just hearing uh, um, you know the it, I can't remember how many birds he, he named that he could uh, identify yes. um, before before we uh, talk about how to hear that which is speaking that we're often deaf to mm-hmm. um, when when you did come to Christ, was the Bible something that was given to you as something that does turn our world upside down, Brooke, or was it used as a way to prop the way things are up as as they are? Uh, I think um, that's a interesting question. I think coming to faith at the age of twenty one. Uh, and I had some incredible, um, David and Christine Reese uh, were the ministers and they're incredible Bible teachers and mm. um, as well as pastoral carers. And so, uh, you know, it was, I was, I felt like I was being invited into the story um, that is in the Bible and, and in following Jesus. And so uh, I guess it's probably been more as I've journeyed uh and being strong in my Aboriginal Christian leadership journey where you start to see that the Bible um, can be used in not so helpful ways. And so, Mm. you know, one of the, and, and actually distinguishing whether it's the Bible or people's interpretation of the Bible. Sure. Um, And so, you know, there's these throw line way lines when, you know, in the church or Christian organisations or Christian conferences where we're trying to fight for an equal platform for Aboriginal Christian leaders' voices and often a line that's thrown back is, oh, but we're all one in Christ Jesus, Um, meaning, you know, we're all the same and you don't have a a claim to receive any special treatment. Yeah. Um, And so not recognised. It's almost Orwellian. Some of us are just more same than others, so that's why we hear from... (laughs) From there yes. more. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Uh, just, you know, the racism that still exists. Uh, and it was Uncle Jack Charles, who's an incredible yeah. Aboriginal actor, a member of the Stolen Generations, and he said, Aboriginal people suffer a peculiar type of racism, and if you don't know that, I don't know why you don't know that. Yeah. So pointing out, if you don't know that, then you're probably part of the problem as well. Uh, and... You know, I think that's been the biggest shock uh, in my life is the racism I've received in the church. Mm. Uh, that's all the denominations, individual followers of Jesus. Um, yeah. And it hurts so much deeper. Uh, and I, I've got a speech online that I did at um, Surrender uh, 
Conference, which is the only Christian conference in Australia that truly gives us an equal platform as Aboriginal Christian leaders. It's yeah. um, and it's called My Dream for the Australian Church. Is the yeah, it's incredible. We'll, we'll link to that as well, Brooke, because that's an amazing yeah. resource for, for people to to have. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so, yeah, I think. I, I remember, um, and in, um, in, in terms of that particular quote, as well, I remember Reggie Williams, who uh, uh, played uh, semi-professional basketball here in Australia, but um, uh, is an African American uh, theologian uh, now back mm. in, in the states. And I was staying with him, and people might know him from his um, work, uh, Bonhoeffer's Black Jesus. Mm. And I was asking him about his impressions of Australia, and he said, "I couldn't believe the racism." Mm. And I was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry." Um, Mm. Did you face a lot of that? And he said, no, not towards us. We were treated like, um, you know, it's that weird fetishization of African-Americans that sometimes happens in Australia that, um, mm. oh, we expect you to be here to play sport or to sing and dance or to mm. entertain us mm. or something. Um, yes. he, he said, no, the how blatant people were in their racism against Aboriginal people and they felt like they could share it mm. to us. Yes. And then would say things like, oh, no, but, you know, you're not, you're not like them. You mm, need to be mm. here longer to actually understand what. And he was yeah. just, he couldn't believe it. Just the mm. the politeness of this insidious white supremacy Australian style mm. that um, mm. uh, we have to call out exists in the imagination of our churches, both in practice yes. and in terms of um, the the theology of which people see mm. the scriptures through. That's right. And, you know, I'm particularly one of the stories that I tell is, uh, you know, and it could have set me off on a whole different path, uh, mm. uh, which was I went to a theological college. It was in 2012. I'd just come back from Grass Tree, which mm. was in the Grass Tree Gathering, which was incredibly encouraging. And um, so I wanted to study theology. And so I was at this theological college at an information session and the deputy principal uh, there not realising that I was Aboriginal and I said, oh, look, I'm really passionate about Aboriginal Christian leadership development. Do you have any Aboriginal students? And he said, oh, no, we don't have any Aboriginal students. Studying doesn't fit with their culture and we can't keep them seated at a desk and they go walkabout. And so, you know, that really put me off They use the phrase walkabout. Yes, and so that don't know walkabout. Like walkabout is actually a, a key cultural term when you go to do particular cultural business, um, but it's used in a colloquial way in Australia that, you know, we can't be relied upon. Um, you never know where we're going to be or if we'll turn up and uh, those sorts of things. And, mm. uh, yeah, so um, uh, it wasn't until 2016 uh, when a non-Indigenous a uh, friend, uh, Reverend Jeff Broughton, approached me and said, Brooke, I've got this opportunity to speak at South Africa at the Global Network of Public Theology. Uh, would you like to co-write a paper with me? Yeah, and I went, wonderful. well, I've never done that, but sure, I'll give it a go if you'd like to walk alongside me. Uh, and so I had to explain to Jeff that he was actually part of my healing journey in yeah. theology because he was... Uh, you know, a, a white male uh, who said, I'll walk alongside you and help you to navigate a path that, you know, 
I, I wouldn't have been able to do that on my own because I had no qualification behind me. Uh, and so it's about how non-Indigenous allies can create the pathways for us uh, mm. and step out of the way to let us lead as well and, and show our gifts and skills uh, walking alongside instead of in front or behind us, that walking alongside um, yeah, and really. then giving us the room to to grow and um, to to share, um, you know, this deep uh, wisdom um, that we have from our culture that, you know, flourishes in a theological um, environment that's decolonised. Yeah, wow, that's incredible. Brooke, for, for those who are overseas, before um, uh, you help us uh, read through eyes that um, uh, is more true to, to this land but also, like, <laughs> has more integrity in terms of um, a Hebraic worldview, would you spell out a little bit, um, I'm just so aware that, um, a lot of the ways that people talk about uh, racism are often imported from the US and, mm-hmm. uh, um, you know, uh, race is a, isn't a biological reality, it's a, a social construct. In Australia it functions quite differently. And the story that you told about um, uh, somebody not realising mm. your uh, Aboriginal, uh, while I think... Um, uh, South African friends might be more sensitive to the the nuances mm. of that. Um, I'm aware that those in North America um, and particularly the US uh, wouldn't be aware of the sensitivities around um, uh, how diverse uh, a- Aboriginal yes. people can look. Would you yes. speak to that just a little bit? Absolutely. So um, it's something quite peculiar to Aboriginal people of Australia that our skin colour can go in one generation. And so I do have uh, fairer skin. Um, I have an uncle who has um, quite dark skin, like my mum's full brother. Uh, And so it's just the way it turns, it comes out. But, Mm. uh, you know, and this has been the surprising thing about Christians is that um, you know, when I first started speaking in churches, I'd often have people come up to me after the sermon and say, oh, but Brooke, I still can't work out how you're Aboriginal. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you can't get past that, then you've actually listened to nothing that I've presented. Mm. Uh, and But to have to continually justify your identity, uh, you know, I do find it peculiar in Christian settings because I've told you I'm, I'm Aboriginal, I've told you where my country is, and so why are you still questioning what I've told you? And mm. I guess, you know, um, how subversive the racism is in Australia. Huh. Uh, and, you know, there was a great article um, written by an Aboriginal woman um, that said, if you can't work out why how I'm Aboriginal, you don't know your history well enough. And yeah. that's where uh, history plays such an important part and a lot of uh, overseas uh, well, I spoke at a conference in the US in February and uh, they didn't even know that Australia had, um, someone I was talking to didn't even know Australia had Indigenous uh, Aboriginal peoples. And so, wow. uh, you know, and uh, today in Australia we're um, about 3 or 4% of the total Australian population, mm. but I often remind people we were once 100% of the population and that was yeah. only just over 200 years ago. 
but the depth of injustice to Aboriginal peoples, uh, that someone that looked like me uh, was part of government policy uh, that you would be, you, children were removed from their families, which is called the stolen generations. And that's where these terms like half-caste, quarter-caste, octoroon, there was even a term for one-sixteenth uh, and that was what was marked on your government forms when you were removed from your family. And in Australia, that lasted right up until the 1960s, even the 1980s. The last yeah. official stolen generations home wasn't closed until the 1980s. Yeah. And when I went to South Africa, a lot of uh, South Africans don't, and for you South African listeners, don't realise that the apartheid legislation uh, were actually based on the Queensland legislation of removing Aboriginal peoples from their lands and um, yeah. from their homes and removing children and, and so forth. And there's actually a letter between the South African government and the Queensland Premier at the yeah. time. Uh, I think South Africa went out to a few different nations, uh, but that Queensland one um, was particularly relevant and Queensland had some of the most horrific uh, legislation and uh, treatment of Aboriginal peoples in Australia. And it's why if you're in Brisbane and you're on Boundary Road, people need to ask, the boundary of what? And That's it's, right. It's those subtle things of here's the boundary that Aboriginal people could come up to um, in in the township that, yeah, it's it's shocking. Um, yes. and, and maybe that uh, as we turn to this passage th- that you've chosen, um, mm. uh what I certainly don't want to do in this conversation, Brooke, or for the listeners to experience is um, here's a, a novel, exotic way to read scripture that engages mm. like um, uh, this will be good for some diversity on the on the missions day that will bring somebody in and they can talk about reading it from, mm. uh, you know, um, oh, we have the Trekkie fans and they're going to talk about scripture, reading it from somebody who loves Star Trek. And, oh, uh, here's Brooke to talk about uh, reading it from somebody who has interest in Aboriginal culture. Mm. But actually the importance of um, the work that you're doing and your call is not merely helping people engage Aboriginal culture, but helping people Mm. repent of a culture which they had to give up their own stories and particularities of who they were before they simply passed as white um, and actually work to re- recover those stories in such ways that the default setting that erases this land, uh, the, the voices that um, have been uh, chirping and, and barking and all the rest um, as we've been talking, mm-hmm. uh, the, the stories of the ancestors that have gone before and how uh that's a conversation that in terms of uh, these texts are much more familiar to and mm. uh, they would find a, a lot less strange mm. than this colonial um, uh, project of erasing and then uh, uh, reading passages like that beautiful passage you read and reading it in such a way that souls in some way doesn't relate to the whole of everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. So... W- would you uh, open up this passage and, and talk a little bit about its significance for you and, and how we might be aware of how to read it with eyes that um, are a little bit more connected to to place and to story? Yeah, so I guess um, where I start is in the Indigenous worldview, we don't have a separation between the human and non-human. And so uh, 
you know, I talk about uh, the passage, love your neighbour as yourself. That's our our people neighbour, but it's also our tree neighbour, our plant neighbour, our land neighbour, our water neighbour, mm. our sky neighbour, um, our bird neighbour, our fish neighbour. Uh, and actually seeing the diversity of all of those things. And, I mean, that's part of the beauty and the strength of the creator, um, of yeah. God, creator spirit. Uh, and uh, I think, um, you know, it's very important to see all those different aspects um, uh, of creation and of life. Uh, and you know, that's just not an Aboriginal perspective. I think that's a Christian, um, perspective that we should tune into more. And, uh, I guess, uh, you know, from when I was little, I was taught to listen deeply An Mm. Aboriginal person listens with their whole being. Um, listening isn't just about with your ears, it's your eyes, your Mm. mind, your heart and your whole sense of being. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, as Christians, as we engage with the Bible and the scriptures, I think that is actually a call for deep listening. Uh, but I think, uh, that's one of the things Indigenous people can teach, uh, all peoples, but Christians in particular, how to listen deeply. Um, and it's paying attention to everything that surrounds you. And, you know, we talked about the lack of Aboriginal people in the church, if I walk into a church that's on stolen land and is filled with gold and stained glass uh, windows with uh, blue-eyed, fair-skinned Jesus, um, <laughs> you know, you're immediately disconnected. You're like, what am I actually listening to in this space? And so I'm always looking for an Aboriginal painting, uh, an Aboriginal flag, mm. something that represents me in that space because there's a lot that doesn't connect with me at all in those church spaces, which is, you know, partly why I'm writing this book um, for mm. next year. Uh, and so... Uh, and I'm also aware, Brooke, that, that part of that, that any time I've spent time in um, worship with Aboriginal communities, that uh, people will elect, regardless of whether there's a church building, um, let's hang out around the campfire. Yes. Um, yep. Let's go sit underneath a tree. Uh, yep. let's, and the, the listening to the worship that began before we started singing. Like yeah. the um, that we're always the, the last ones to kind of join in a song that's being sung, whether it's lament or praise, that yes. the rest of creation is about what on about what um, uh, our soul longs for, and often um, you, you know even the fact that we refer to church buildings as church um, mm. in in the yes. English language, uh, we we do ourselves a disservice as if it's a particular space instead of what it is to be a people that are neighbourly to all that is neighbourly towards us. That's right. And that's where our core values, our core cultural values as Aboriginal people are hospitality, generosity and Mm. community. And that community means family and is everyone. Um, And uh, I've got a lecture that I gave, the annual Tinsley lecture, that's called Reclaiming Community. Mm. um, I mean, it was only two years ago doing my Nate study and reading uh, Ray Aldred's paper, The Resurrection of Story. Mm. I thought when 
I, as an Aboriginal person, talked about community and church talks about community all the time. And I thought we were speaking the same language. And then I realised my eyes were open that we're actually not talking the same language. And uh, that's where Aboriginal people can help to bring healing and togetherness uh, with sharing our sense of community that's embedded in, you know, thousands of years of practice but still uh, valued and lived out today. And so, uh, yeah, this deep listening and this connection, how do we connect uh, with the words, the stories, um, the environment um, that the Bible is speaking to us and how we live our lives each day and you know, when we wake up in the morning, um, you immediately, uh, it's the carpet or the tiles that you feel under your bare feet when you get out Mm. of bed. And then immediately one of the next first actions before you walk out the door is you put your socks and your shoes or your sandals on and we're immediately disconnected from the land. You can go pretty much your whole life without actually even ever touching the land, except I think when we're children or on holidays. And so, you know, how can you feel the land and hear the land um, if you're actually disconnected from it? And so a practice that I often talk about, and it was Uncle Joe Kirk uh, who taught me um, and taught other people at a conference, take off your shoes and socks and feel the land. Yeah. Um, and if you, it's on one of my favorite things of yeah. following you on Instagram, which everybody yeah, yeah. listening should go do, is um, yeah. seeing where your feet are and seeing photos of your your feet across uh, different spaces uh, around the world is um, really beautiful. But particularly uh, here on this continent, yes, yeah, and and, um, uh, and so it's just about that tuning in and taking the time to go slowly and to walk gently and softly. Um, That's what, you know, our elders teach us about caring for country. Um, So many elders have said, um, care for country and country will care for you. Because we're all interconnected. Uh, The creator wove us all together, all life and creation, human and non-human. And uh, I think we need to tune into that as Christians and that's where uh, Aboriginal and Indigenous Christian leaders all across the world um, can help uh, people to learn how to do that. Um, mm. And that's the importance of us having an equal space uh, in the theological realm is so important um, and the academic uh, theological space as well. Uh, and so uh, I guess when we look um, at this passage, like I've talked about disconnection and about deep listening, uh, and I guess if I come back to my own story you know, I was taught from a young age um, to listen how you read the sky. Uh, And when I Mm. was a child, uh, you know, when the rains are coming, the ants build their nest. And so you look for what the ants are doing because it'll tell you whether the rains are coming. And I remember as a child, my friends used to think I was a bit crazy. (laughs) But then rains had come and they're like, oh, hang on. And now lots of people talk about that because they've tuned into Aboriginal wisdom. But, you, you know, there was a time... 40 years ago where that wasn't the case, even that's probably only been the last, oh, I think it's actually like 10 um, years in Australia that people have started to tune into this Aboriginal wisdom. Uh, You know, my nan teaching me to read, um, teaching me to read the sky um, when a storm is coming and the sky is green, you know, the hail is coming, Mm. um, the waves at the beach uh, and 
you know, to pay attention to what the animals are doing. When the birds are, are flying and squawking away and that the storm's approaching, uh, all of these things. And then today as we face environmental and climate emergency, the animals are telling us, That's uh, right. you know, broken hill, we've got the incredible um, animal here in Australia, the emu, the second largest uh, flightless bird in Australia after the ostrich. Uh, and Australia, some parts of Australia are in the worst drought Australia has ever seen. And the emus, for the very first time, worked, walked into the, um, the regional centre, the township of Broken Hill, um, because they were thirsty. They had no water. And so the emus were taken before the media started talking yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, there's, um, there's a place in South Australia called the Coorong, on Nurunjeri country and uh, there's seals or sea lions that are in the Coorong chasing the fish. They've never been seen there before. Hmm. And so animals are teaching us. And and then when, you know, I came across Job 12, 7 to 10, I'm like, here it is in scripture. Uh, yeah. And I often um, try and challenge uh, like non-Indigenous theologians, do they know Job 12, 7 to 10? Because a mm. lot of Indigenous theologians and Christians know because we're drawn to it. Um, That's right. Speaking our language. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, Creator placed the voices in those birds that we can hear in the background. And, um, you know, Aboriginal people can tell you the story of all of the animals and birds and the plants and uh, how we pay attention to them and, you know, I think even bringing this into conversation with pop culture, um, when I was on the plane to the US in February, I watched the movie Avatar uh, and I, somehow I missed that. Uh, I missed watching Avatar. So it's only in 2019 <laughs> Prentice is catching up. Um, <laughs> but, like, I was on that plane and I was absolutely bawling and then I was uh. really angry because I'm like, this is one of the biggest blockbuster movies that we've seen in the world. Millions of people have seen this. Um, and whilst, uh, you, you know, I'm like, it's, it's like I'm watching my ancestors um, fighting mm. for trees and fighting the machinery and not just my ancestors but Aboriginal people today. Um, yeah. you know, we've got the Wanganjagalingu peoples up um, in the Galilee Basin in Queensland yep fighting against the Adani coal mine um, and yes. there's a finch, a little bird um, that's only found there and is at, um, will be uh, threatened to extinction if that goes ahead. And Indigenous people were talking about that long before lots of people were protesting the Adani coal mine. Um, but how do we, we listen to that little finch? Um, because it's trying to tell us and Indigenous people are in tune with its song and its story and trying to tell the rest of the world uh, you know, we've got the mining people down in South Australia fighting the um, deep sea oil drilling. It's an important yes, yeah. um, whale migration path. The mining people are the whale people. Mm. Um, you know, uh, it, there's just so much interconnection and there's a great book um, called Dark Emu by Bruce yeah. Roscoe. And uh, it, he's an Which has just been turned into a kid's book as well. That's right. And, you know, the kids' book, uh, I think it's really beautiful because you see the big pictures come to life. These are actual mm. historical evidence 
of what existed here before colonisation and and Bruce Pascoe, you know, he overturns um, that falsity that, you know, we were nomadic hunter-gatherers. Um, uh, yeah, and actually proved with the yam farming and how the land had been shaped right through um, Victoria before. And uh, th- this is going off... Um, uh, Whitefella documentation as well, talking about these realities of Indigenous farming. That's right. And, um, and you know, the land here in Australia was so different pre-colonisation. It was soft, um, but it was cultivated. Yeah. Uh, and we had our crops and, uh, and so, but when colonisation comes in and the sheep and the cattle and they compact the land and make it hard, they change the whole landscape. They changed what Creator had placed here um, for us to care for. And so that's why it's so important, you know, going back to um, when the land is sick, the people are sick. Yeah, yeah. We have to come together in that sickness in a colonised Australia. I say post-colonial is only ever an academic aspiration, not a living That's right. Uh, yeah. And so because our healing is actually bound up together, um, yeah. If we are to bring healing to the sickness, we have to come together. Uh, and, you know, I think that's uh, now that Nates is a global Indigenous theological institute, it's only now we're starting to do this deep theological work uh, with equality or letting Aboriginal and Indigenous Christian leaders lead. Mm. And so um, uh, where is that? Um Brooke, why are you looking for it? I'm aware yeah. that um, even the text says, um, but ask the animals, which I find fascinating and really speaks to to me. Um, so uh, St Kevin's very important to my ancestors um, on the, the south of the Emerald Isle and um, unlike St Francis in the 5th century, he, um, St Kevin didn't preach to the birds. He let the birds preach to him. Mm-hmm. And that was his call to ministry. And, and mm. traditional Celtic spirituality has this same sense that um, everything is speaking. Um, yes. I, I'm fascinated that the, uh, Job's provocation in response to his good-hearted wrong mates who mm. at, at least are there when, um, mm. you know, the proverbial hits a fan, it's nice to have friends who stick around but have horrible theological advice and I'm very aware when it comes to these um, you know very painful conversations where it costs um, Aboriginal people so much to actually like suffer through um, from uh, the silly to what is sometimes actually um, seriously um, vicious conversations um, Mm. that there's there's little there's little asking and listening as you were talking before the importance of, of listening. Um, mm. Would you speak to a bit around um, what it is to to speak to the earth and um, to have a prayer life where you bring a listening ear in the same way that um, you've ministered to me and I can talk of the mm. um, uh, the words of encouragement um, in in or the, the, the words of prayer that have ministered to me. But what is it to allow the earth to minister to us, to allow the birds to minister to us, um, 
uh, to speak to the animals and, and then listen to what they say and what their testimony is. Mm. Um, I think it's just uh, so important and um, they do tell us and teach us and inform us and have been um, for thousands of years. Uh, but at the moment, what the earth speaks to us is that it's screaming, it's crying, it's yeah. weeping, uh, and it carries deep sickness. Um, but uh, the scriptures give us a path. Um, theology can can bring us together uh, because mm. it's there. Genesis 1, um, when the creator created all of these things and wove us together in this beautiful tapestry that um, is human and non-human. And so we have to allow uh, the earth to speak to us, the places to speak to us, Um, you know, here in Australia and and to allow the Aboriginal leadership uh, in that because embedded in the landscape is the creator's stories that he passed to the very, or she passed to the very first generation um, of Aboriginal peoples in each of those 300 nations. And then they passed it to each generation after that. And, you know, some people might be familiar with our Aboriginal stories being called the dreaming. Mm. And the dreaming is um, quite a problematic word. For starters, it's English. Um, and (laughs) determined by anthropologists. So uh, there's a number of different uh, problems there. Uh, And yet I know elders, um, some of whom that's really important, and I know other elders who want to get rid of the term completely. So we want to hold that kind of, uh, um, that both of those are reality for some Aboriginal elders. That's right, because it is the best word that we have to collectively Mm. identify um, all of that. But what it actually means is that each nation um, had their own word for the dreaming uh, in their own language and, you know, English just can't comprehend um, what that means. Uh, uh, It's the same with how the Bible is interpreted into English. Um, Mm. It it often uh, doesn't fully justify the the Hebrew and the Greek, uh, mm. you know. So uh, that's why it's important that people actually dig in um, to these uh, uh, situations and even how scripture is is carved up. I mean, anyone that's done any theological study um, will know this is not new, but it completely uh, blew my mind when I did the theological studies and realised, oh, hang on, when they put those headings in the Bible, they're breaking up parts of scripture and how important it is to read the verses before and after Mm -hmm. uh, and to see the whole context and even the numbers and verses and um, how it's carved up uh, and particularly carved up from a Western mindset potentially as well. So these are all things to be really conscious of. And And that might be a helpful metaphor for people in terms of when they do read scripture, um, not to carve up the place mm-hmm. that they're actually reading from um, yes. that uh, often in the same way you talked about there's a title and you don't look at the place that what flows b- before it that yes. anybody reading scripture is reading from a, a place where um, God didn't just press go and leave the joint yeah um, but the creator is called creator because it's an ongoing th- this moment right now it, it yes. is a gift of of ongoing grace that reality um, you know, air in our lungs. And so what is it to pay attention to the places we read from 
and yes. the uh, the voices which have named and and been given stewardship of this place that are so often forgetting and forgotten. Yes, yeah, that's right. And um, um, yeah, so like our dreaming is actually a whole system of law and living. Um, so, uh, you know, that's massive. And, you know, we can look at the Bible like that as well. It's a whole system of law and living. Um, but often that law can be corrupted into rules that are actually church institution rules instead of, uh, biblical, uh, teaching. So we have to be conscious of that too. Uh, but, uh, you read any Aboriginal dreaming story and it'll teach you one, um, or two or three of three things. Um, they always tell you who the creator is, hmm. how to care for creation, and how to live in right relationship. Yeah. So they're three biblical principles as well. And this is when we start to see the Bible with Aboriginal eyes. And uh, I'm reminded uh, of Genesis 1 and verses one and two in the message version. Um, and I often bring this into my teaching with a painting and maybe we can link to the painting. It's an incredible painting by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Christian leader, Safina Stewart. And it's oh, called, dear um, Safina. I love her so much. Yes. She's the best. She is. Uh, she's a Wutati and Mabiog Island woman and her painting is called Heaven Came Down. Um, mm. It represents the creator Bunjil, the eagle, which is from Wurundjeri country, which is in the place now called Melbourne. Uh, and Bunjil flew over all of the uh, land and created the land and the waters and the mountains. Uh, Bunjil sung um, the country. Bunjil yeah. sung the people. And Bunjil sung the law, how to look after everything, those three principles I was talking about. And when Bunjil finished creating, Bunjil ascended to the sky and became the stars. Hmm. And so... Uh, using that painting plus the story of the Wurundjeri peoples of Bunjil the Eagle and then looking at Genesis 1, 1 and 2 in the message version, it says God's spirit brooded like a bird above the watery abyss. So, again, you have creation coming into conversation with us uh, and just seeing things differently, listening deeply. uh, And, you know, Bunjil's story isn't just a story. It's actually a key message and law and living. And Bunjil's story is embedded in the landscape. It is embedded. The creator's story is physically embedded in the land under our feet, Mm. in the waters um, that we go to ponder by, um, in the animals and the plants and the trees that the creator placed here. That's all of the story. And and when we talk as Aboriginal people about country, Mm. that country it's actually meaning all of those things. Country just doesn't mean a geographical place like our country. It actually means the peoples, the lands, the waters, the skies, the birds, the animals, the plants, the trees, the fish, all of creation. Yeah. Uh, And And, and as part of that, as you mentioned earlier, um, law and uh, not L-A-W but L-O-R-E, the the importance of story and uh, song and ceremony. Yes, that's right. And I made that distinction. Well, I've made it for a long time. When I talk about law, I'm talking about L-O-R-E. But Mm. I recently came into conversation with another Aboriginal Christian leader 
um, who was unhappy with talking about law as L-O-R-E. And what I realised is that non-Indigenous people have uh, sometimes corrupted that to mean myth. Um, right. And so I'm fascinated, whereas we're usually making the distinction between L-A-W law and L-O-R-E law because L-A-W law is about um, punishment and mm. it's a Western law system. And so now, um, and, you know, some of your listeners not might not be aware, um, and as we uh, record on this day, I acknowledge mm. um we have Aboriginal deaths in custody in Australia. It's kind of like our Black Lives Matter. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's the anniversary of Wayne Fella Morrison's uh, death in custody, um, who was my friend's brother. And so I pay my respects to their family uh, yeah. today and honour them. Uh, and that's where law, where we have LAW law, where we have Aboriginal people dying in uh, state systems, uh, you know, 339 recommendations were developed in 1991 and yep. only a handful of those have ever been implemented and we've still got our people dying um, in these state systems uh, and no justice served and dying in horrific um, circumstances. Yeah. Unnecessary. Um, these are lives that could be protected and deaths that could be prevented. Uh, but uh, it's, again, one of those systems that has been built and so it is important to bring, um, so now I do want to re-embrace law, L-O-R-E, as L-A-W because this Western colonial law isn't mm-hmm. the only way to look at, which is based in punishment and exclusion, isn't yeah. the only way to look at law. And, and, and I think that just is more conversation and um, learning and listening uh, with and from Aboriginal peoples uh, and is important with how we read the Bible. Yeah, totally. And what I hear you doing there, Brooke, is encouraging us to um, uh, don't leave biblical studies as a uh, something that is interesting dinner time discussion or theological conversations. But the the fact that you know the rates of like, Aboriginal incarceration here in Western Australia uh, versus yeah. uh, the, the population is, is just it's it's a travesty like the um uh some of the listeners will be aware that um when a bunch of us were arrested in the love makes away movement and we were strip searched and there was a corruption and crime commission into um the treatment of us uh, when we're in police custody and uh they ended up spending over a million dollars um uh, to to buy uh, the same equipment that you'll see at the airport. Yeah. And the thing is that years prior, Miss Do and mm. Mr Ward had yes. died in the West Australian police system and mm. yet because um, we were white and we were middle class and uh, we were church leaders, it caused this huge uproar. But mm. where is the uproar for these other people? Where is the mm-hmm. uproar? for what passes as a daily reality. And, mm. I mean, when Job talks about ask the animals, mm. ask the birds, ask the earth, um, ask the fish of the sea, these are some of the questions that we should be asking the rest of creation. Um, mm, mm, and mm, if we're sensitive right. to that, we can actually hear our whole worldview and the nice, mm. safe space where uh, 
what God dreams of um, is allowed to stay a dream and not a waking reality actually suits mm. the system that um, currently functions at the cost of the poor and mm. it is literally killing people of colour disproportionately and yes. means that there's no safe future ecologically on this planet because of this ongoing project. Yes, that's right. And, you know, we go back to how I was explaining my story um, from the beginning and about justice. And so, mm. what um, you know, it's beautiful and poetic to bring creation into conversation with us, like through this passage in Job 12, uh, you know, I said also that the land at the moment, the earth is speaking to us and it's crying and weeping mm. and screaming every time an Aboriginal person dies in a state system, in a prison on these lands, the earth cries out um, because yeah. of the injustice. Uh, and the first prisons um, that were built in Australia were built to house Aboriginal peoples, to yeah. remove us off our lands, create us as slave labour. Um, Aboriginal peoples were put in chains and walked across this country in horrific circumstances uh, and put in jail cells and died in those systems and we're still dying in 2019 in those systems. Yeah. Uh, and so how will we allow creation to speak to us, the creator to speak to us, um, including in the environment and overall in, in justice? Yeah. Justice. Yeah, that, that's incredible. Brooke, um, uh, as you know, um, my family dearly loves you and and um you love them and i i have two little boys mm. um and uh what does it look like to to form kids um in a worldview that actually does this kind of holistic justice um uh what is it to actually um uh learn from uh, elders and actually enter into this in a way that it doesn't become a, a cheap appropriation um, or virtual signaling, but actually is a walking alongside, which you've so powerfully um, called the church to here in Australia. Yeah, well, I, uh, your boys are growing up in a very different Australia, even to what you and I have grown up in. Mm. Uh, and Australia actually does know Aboriginal people, is starting to recognise us as the world's first bread makers, predating yeah. Egyptians, the world's first astronomers um, yeah. who are actually acknowledging us as the world's oldest living continuing cultures. And, you know, I say that we are a gift. We are a gift to these lands now called Australia and a gift to the world. Mm. Uh, that gift has been ignored for far too long. It's starting to be embraced, but we've still got a long way to go in it being embraced. And so for the, the younger generations, the children of today, um, you know, I think we can look uh, for hope that Indigenous peoples will be embraced fully as the gift that the Creator intended us to be. Uh, and mm. so... You know, I also do say uh, if you learn Australia's true history, it is a miracle. It is a miracle that we survived um, yeah. because we were tried to be exterminated. Genocide happened here in Australia. That's um, right. And so it is a miracle that we survived. That is no one else's miracle but God's miracle. He has placed yeah. us here for a reason. 
Um, and I think we're starting to see part of what that reason is and how that's tied to the global colonial project as well. And so mm-hmm. the children today to see the globalness of uh, the world in which we operate uh, is quite different. We've had a taste of it in our lifetime so far, but it will go to a whole nother scale. Uh, and to see how Australia's colonisation fits into the global colonial project um, I had someone say to me once that we are the last kind of social experiment of the colonial project. Um, Mm. And so that's important to pay attention to. And when I was speaking in the the US in February, um, someone said to me, they just thanked me for my contribution because for so long, you know, they've been upset about Indigenous people's treatment in the US, but they hadn't thought about the globalness. Yeah. And so you can't just focus on your local context uh, because then you're only uh, potentially treating parts of uh, the damage, but to actually see the globalness and therefore the importance of and the beauty of Indigenous peoples all over the world coming together, um, what that means for the future of our world and how will your children tune into that Mm -hmm. um, and be part of that. And, uh, you know, I was talking about before about that, um, quote from Bruce Pascoe in Dark Emu. Um, your children are growing up in an Australia that where Bruce Pascoe says that the start of the journey is to allow the knowledge that Aboriginal people did build houses, did cultivate and irrigate crops, did sew clothes and were not hapless wanderers across the soil, mere hunter-gatherers. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people were intervening in the productivity of this country And what has been learnt during that process over many thousands of years will be useful to us today and the future for them. To deny Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander agricultural and spiritual achievement is the single greatest impediment to intercultural understanding and perhaps to Australian moral well-being and economic prosperity. And when we look at our world today where so much of like the conversation in Australia and politics is all about the economy and budget mm-hmm. surplus and rah, rah, rah. And when we look at the global, uh, the world, it's also part of the conversation. You look at Brexit in um, uh, in England, in the UK, you look yeah. at whatever's happening in the, the US um, and how it comes back to this economics. Uh, but your children are growing up in a world where they will understand that the peoples that the creator placed here as his custodians, as her custodians and stewards, um, and this agricultural and spiritual achievement and how that is connected to economic prosperity and moral well-being, and that's where Christians are an important part of that conversation because when you read the Bible and you hear Jesus call us to economic justice, it looks more like um, pre-colonial Australia and what Mm -hmm. Aboriginal people were doing in that whole system of law and living um, what it looks like today in a world and uh, that's driven by capitalism and greed and profit uh, are valued over caring for creation. Yes. I guess that's my deep hope, my deep prayer and my dream and why a passage like Job 12, 7 to 10 is so important because there is a different way. This way, this Western Mm. capitalism way isn't the only way. And for Mm. over 5,000 years, 300 nations of peoples 
coexisted side by side as neighbours in these lands now called Australia, a time before we needed a word like reconciliation uh, and in peace and harmony, not without conflict, but not uh, the warfaring people's nomadic hunter-gatherers that the Western uh, Mm. culture um, placed those names on us. Brooke, it's it's so, I mean, if there's an old call, I'm responding. Like, (laughs) it's... It's it's so powerful and your voice is um, so important at this time. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll share this because um, uh, I was talking to Hugo about this passage and uh, for those who don't know, um, Hugo's my nine-year-old and mm. um, I told him that um, uh, I'd be talking uh, to you about it, and Hugo said, "That's what we do." Mm. I, I said, "What?" Mm. He said, "That's what we do." That's and I was like, "When?" And he goes, "When that huge eagle swooped down," mm. and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And then I realised. Um, so we drove up to Karajini, um, uh, the mm. gorges, as a family, and mm. um, as we uh, went into new areas, we'd tell the the boys um, who the traditional custodians are um, and we also um, uh, in, in part because of the uh, influence of um, uh, Uncle Graham Paulson uh, upon me like we talk about what it is to actually um, uh, bless the land and ask for permission uh, mm. as we traveled up Western Australia and so Goey was saying a prayer as we moved into this new area we passed the sign and so I was like who, who's going to pray? And, and bless the land and ask the, the land um, to, to speak to us. And um, literally, as Hugo said, amen, after this very sweet prayer of like, thank you, God, for this land that you gave to uh, the traditional custodians and um, may we be a blessing to it and um, mm. uh, speak to us uh, through it. And uh, literally, as he said, amen, this huge eagle passed over mm-hmm. the car, just kind of mm-hmm. welcoming us. And, Brooke, as as you have um, uh, spoken, it's been amazing, like literally a kookaburra uh, landed a couple of mm-hmm. metres away. I'm sure people have heard the, the magpies and the cockatoos. Mm. It's, it's my prayer that... Um, uh, your voice will sensitise us to the prophetic voices of the other-than-human parts of creation, which are mm. crying out, wanting to minister to us, uh, wanting to um, uh, correct us and encourage us. And, yeah, I just thank you for the, the voice that you are calling to hear those voices. Mm. Thank you. And maybe I can uh, leave uh, you with a blessing. Would that be all right? I, I would love that. That would be incredible. Um, so this is a blessing that I wrote, so it's an Aboriginal blessing. Uh, I actually had the incredible opportunity to speak it and I hand-wrote it and gave it to the Prime Minister of Australia uh, just last week. Mm. Um, I wish I had have been able to talk to him about the injustices that are in these lands now called Australia, particularly facing Aboriginal people, but I wasn't. But one of the things that I dream about is an Australia built on truth, justice, love and hope. Mm. Uh, and it's my prayer. And uh, I wrote those words and they are in his hands. And so I have to, I guess, give it up to uh, create a spirit uh, to do the work in what those words truly mean, truth, justice, love and hope. Uh, but this is uh, Aboriginal blessing. 
which people can find on the Common Grace uh, website. So for all of us and all of your listeners, may our footsteps on these ancient lands remind us of creation and connectedness in our search for truth. May the gum tree from its roots to its branches remind us to dig deep and reach high in our action for justice. May the eagle who soars in the sky remind us of the power in our call for love. May the expanse of the lands and seas of the sky and stars remind us of God's timing in our faith in hope. And may the Holy Three, Creator Spirit, Lord God, Papa Jesus, remind us of community. And so with grace, mercy and peace, go in truth, justice, love and hope. Amen.